Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Herd Mentality. Joining me today is Hollywood producer and struggle cuddle enthusiast Harvey Weinstein. Harvey, welcome to my office. Nice to be in your office. I'm going to negotiate a bigger office for you. That's kind of you, but I'm more of the the mantra that it's what you do with it, not the size that counts. And uh, speaking of size, how would you describe your wandering willy? You need four guys to lift it. Or indeed several dozen sexual assault victims. Uh, I can't remember individuals, but there were plenty. Uh-huh. How do you feel about the plight of other sexual harassers and rapists uh, who attack women? You know, I have such sympathy for them. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they've got it easy. You know, you really have to have a conviction. Have you ever had to reject a woman you were trying to assault at the last minute? I have to say no sometimes because the hair is wrong or this is wrong or sometimes it's physical. So you do have standards, uh, just slightly higher standards than, say, Brock Turner. Suffice to say that you learn the hard way. Hmm. Now that you've been exposed as a sex pest, you've mentioned uh, you're interested in a career change, perhaps to the field of astrophysics. I hear there's a job opening. It takes a certain amount of intellectualism. And this would only be possible because you are... Incredibly brilliant. I see. Harvey Weinstein, thanks for your time and all the best in the future. Mm-hmm. Female empowerment. Don't take it seriously. You're the person with the technology. <laughs> I'm just the person with a bad attitude. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic non-weekly mix of atheistic, humanistic and scientific conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, entertain you with some scintillating repartee. This is a listener-supported show and you can help boost quality and quantity at HerdMentalityPodcast.com and then click on Support. Your contribution makes all the difference for the show, and 10% of it goes to women in developing countries. I'm your host, Questionable Adam, found on Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. And it's time to meet our guests. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Herd Mentality from Hiatus, the podcast that I used to do on occasion that I'm not even sure how to do anymore. Doctor, come on, get your shit together, Adam. Uh, you could you could come here and help me with all the technical stuff. No, no. Doctor Mel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Adam. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure. So I've been thinking about this tentatively. We're going to call this the Lawrence Krauss affair, and I've got a theme tune. It uh, the oh really? Like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel. No, I don't know. The, the, I, I'm not seeing the metaphor. No, oh, the Thomas Crown effect? Okay, don't worry about it. Uh, nah, nah. Tough crowd. No. Okay, I'll cut Tough that. Crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Sorry, it's a very serious matter. Yeah, it, it is a very serious matter. And you've been on the podcast several times before doing Certainly. all sorts of microbiology stuff and saving Absolutely. people's lives. Well, you know, I try. In Back in the olden days when I had like a research career. But, you know. Nowadays, I'm just sort of a outspoken feminist killjoy, mostly. Right. Yes. So uh, you're sapping the will to live from me as I yes. <laughs> as you're on the other end of the phone call. So in roundabout terms, let, let's lay out a couple of ground rules here. And, I, and I've made this pretty clear. I have no dog in this fight. My interest is in seeing people who do the wrong thing brought to justice of a sort. And I so happened to be in the proximity of such an event where something terrible took place, that 
caused me to spend quite a bit of time reflecting on who I admire and why. So that's my position. I don't want to do or promote or say say things that are going to have me ostracised within the community. I, I don't think that would be fair anyway. Mm-hmm. Often happens, though. <laughs> it, so so we take the risk by doing so, but it is an important discussion that needs yes. to be had. Correct. And it was brought about by you. At the very so, let's start at the very beginning, Mel. Yes. Where were we? <laughs> where were we? Hmm. I think it was November 2016. We were in the hospitality suite at the Melbourne Zoological Gardens. We were enjoying. I think it was fairly much entree. The sort of the, the bit before you sat down had main course, and everybody was you know meeting and greeting everyone, getting selfies, and getting, getting selfies. selfies. I've got a selfie. Selfies with important speakers on the speakers list. And I was on the speakers list, but as a local also ran sort of Australian skeptic person, I was sort of, you know, people didn't want my autograph and that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm okay totally with being not famous. But obviously the star of the show was Lawrence Krauss and everybody obviously wanted a piece of the action there and that's great. Now, I had previously been told on the Wednesday by Michael Brown, Professor Michael Brown of Monash Astronomy, Astrophysics, to basically watch out for Lawrence Krauss, that he was a bit handsy, a bit octopusy. I think octopus might have been the word he used. I can't quite recall. I was just like, oh, right. And then I went and Googled before I got there on, on the Saturday night. And I'm like, oh, God, there's a whole load of them. This, why? Why? Why do these people do that? Oh, well, never mind. I'll warn my friends and I'll keep an eye on him to make sure he's not doing anything leery at the conference dinner because that's always – and being a woman in, from academia – in the past, I know that that's always the danger time is when you start having the social aspects after the sort of official program where you've got the scientific speakers and then you have the social mixes afterwards to do networking. And it's often a time when women in science really think that they're there doing networking with, you know, much more important men in science and they're trying to make relationships to improve their future employment prospects by networking with important people in science. And unfortunately, the important people in science sometimes mistake that kind of interaction for something other than a professional interaction. And it's quite common in science, I'm not going to lie. It's very, very common in all of the disciplines of science. And it's something as an advocate for women in science that I spend a lot of time advocating against happening, basically, because it, it creates it's a toxic working environment for women and other gender identities as well. And so I was warned by one of his colleagues from astronomy to watch him. And so I did what I thought was right, which was warn all of my friends that he might be like that. And then I kept an eye on him. Whenever he basically approached a woman, I was sort of a bit meerkat looking mm-hmm. to make sure that he wasn't doing anything inappropriate. You know, I wasn't really expecting to see anything happen. <laughs> it was so it. public. That, that I know. There was that like room. hundreds of people in the room. I just um, And I was expecting it, but even when you've had your biases confirmed by actually seeing with your own eyes something so blatant happen in front of you, you just think, I was expecting that, but I, I'm still shocked. I was still entirely shocked by the fact that it actually happened and obviously seeing my friend elbow him in the guts and turn around and remonstrate and go what did the hinky you know obviously going what the hell you know i was just like 
gobsmacked. Okay, so and so tr- let's try and get back for a sec because yeah. a lot of the people who are listening to this may not have read the BuzzFeed article that outlines yep. not only the events that took place that night but several others. Yeah. What's the allegation? What happened? What did you see? I saw her phone. She was holding her phone up above her head. He was standing just behind her to one side. His arm came over her shoulder as she was trying to focus her phone for a selfie. As she literally was clicking the, you know, just about to click the button, he just grabbed her like in some kind of crazy Benny Hill styly shenanigans. And I'm just like, what? And she reacted immediately. She she absolutely body checked him, elbow to the ribs, spun around and went, what the hell? And he put his hands in the air and started backing away. And that was it. And, you know, I was sort of a couple of tables away at that point. And then I saw her to walk to the bar. I walked to the bar to intersect with her. And, and I immediately offered my support and said, you know, do you want me to get someone? Do you want me to get him thrown out for that kind of behavior? You know, because that kind of behavior, you know, if you're in a uh, nightclub or uh, any other social situation, even in those situations, the security would probably have a bit of a tap on the shoulder and say, oi, mate, what do you think you were doing? Mm. And my husband's a security guard. He does that often on a Friday and Saturday night where if there's someone, if there's a man obviously hassling women and clearly the women are responding in ways that demonstrate that it's an unwanted form of attention, then, you know, they usually get their collar felt thrown out. This particular person didn't want to pursue the matter further. No, because she, and that's fine because she was just like, well, no, I've dealt with it. I've, you know, elbowed him in the guts and told him to, you know, rack off. And that's quite within her remit to do that. You know, I didn't get to the point of wanting to put in a complaint until after other comments were made by, by Krauss around the science march. And that's something that I've republished on my blog today. I turned my blog back on today to provide the evidence base for this kind of stuff. And it was a, a blog post that I wrote in April 2017, where I basically had got the red mist when uh, he'd made some comments on some panel around the whining that he considered had happened around um, the science march, the first science march. And th- there was a big hoo-ha for a while there about the fact that women and ethnic minorities and disabled people weren't being included in the organising committee. And, you know, and he was part of the establishment pushback against these marginalised groups. And as a person with multiple sclerosis, I identify as a disabled scientist. And so I really just, I got angry because I know, I knew he had been guilty of uh, basically making a toxic working environment for people that were trying to enjoy a sort of scientific-related professional event. I lost my mind and wrote a ranty blog post. And I actually said in that blog post, I'm not even going to bother reporting you to your employer because they're not going to do anything about it because I know how these things go. But but things did progress. Yeah. So the thing that actually happened after I published that blog post, so at the time it was read by about 3,000 people, I think, because my blog is not frequently it's it's a pretty rubbish blog it's a bit of a bit like this you know, rubbish personal podcast. reflective document <laughs> <laughs> no one reads it and i'm okay with that it's just you know it's more like a diary for me for personal reflection it's not actually i don't intend for it to be read by people and i'm not interested in people commenting on it but that actual particular post got read widely and i actually got contacted by lots and lots of people 
that were trying to speculate who it was that I was talking about. It came down to a couple of people and a couple of names that were being thrown about. And it was interesting that the astrophysicist picked up straight away who it was, which is indicative of the reputation he had within his own discipline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not, e- not even thinking about his sort of activities within the skeptics and atheist movements. It was Nora, as she's named in the first BuzzFeed expose in March this year. Uh, Nora actually contacted me through a senior astrophysicist who knew me, and she basically said, this happened to me 2008. I went through a university process. He was found to have a case to answer. I don't want to see your blog post in another 10 years. So can you do something? You know, you've said in your blog post that you're not going to make a complaint, but actually I'm asking you, can you please make a complaint? So I was just like, oh, moral dilemma. <laughs> moral dilemma. The worst <laughs> And, you know, and I'm like, oh, I'm a sucker. I'm so, such a sucker for a junior woman in science asking me to act. And so, yeah, my Joan of Arc complex was activated at that point i basically took some advice from various people and then decided to put in a complaint but i had to wait before i until i got back from a u.s conference because i was so scared at that time because donald trump was starting to do all sorts of weird things with visas and i needed an eta to travel to the u.s and so i was i was afraid that i was going to be basically subpoenaed by lawrence krauss for just putting in an actual complaint through a university process. Mm. I was so scared of him actually retaliating at that point with legal action that would then block my visa for a work trip. I actually waited to put in my file my complaint after I returned. And on that trip, I got to actually meet a couple of senior astrophysicists as well as Nora. And so I got to actually talk to her about what had happened and what she was expecting from me to have happen. Then... I put in my complaint. Which was promptly dismissed. Which was pretty much, I got a paragraph. Like, you know, I was just like, seriously, that's it? I get a paragraph? You're not even going to explain to me why you've dismissed my complaint? You're just going to say no case to answer and that's it? Great. Thanks. (laughs) It was unedifying, but not unexpected. Mm. But upsetting, nonetheless. And after speaking to some of these senior astrophysicists, they're like, well, you know how it went down with the Jeff Marcy case? You basically have to go to the media to expose and basically shame these institutions into actually acting correctly. And I'm like, how is this part of the process? (laughs) We should have a good, robust process in place already Mm. to support these kind of complaints. And this is before, because the Me Too movement is is relatively new. So both of these, both of the investigations, interestingly enough, the first time I complained was prior to the Me Too Harvey Weinstein expose, okay? So, pre-Me Too. So, that was the first time. The second time that we'd managed to actually get to the point of gathering all of the other people together to get a case together for the BuzzFeed to form, well, Harvey Weinstein had X number of people complaining about him. So, if you want to take down one of these people that's a serial harasser, you have to assemble literally a cast of thousands of people, (laughs) it seems. Um, Okay, maybe it's only dozens. You know, you have to have quite a number of people making separate complaints that are isolated from each other to demonstrate that there's a a serial nature to these activities. That's what BuzzFeed did, and obviously the article came out in March this year. And because my incident 
that I put in for my complaint was the most recent. It was right down the bottom. And, and I was very um, careful and cautious, and I actually turned off my Twitter account before and after the event of it being published so that I would limit the, the, the sort of um, fanboy trolling that went on. And, and you did see that with one or two of the other people that had been named in that article got mm. quite serious online harassment. But I knew that was going to happen, and, and so I took steps to protect myself from that kind of attack. I think I turned my Twitter account on maybe 10 days after the sort of dust started to settle. Mm. <laughs> I did have his wife try and follow me on Twitter briefly, but I think that was the quickest block I've ever <laughs> ever done in my life. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, block. <laughs> At that point, I was then requested by ASU to join the second investigation, which was precipitated by the BuzzFeed expose. And so it was inappropriate at that point for me to have any dealings with any member of <laughs> of Krause's fan club or family. And so I was trying to keep it, play it straight and make sure that the second process wasn't going to be compromised. ASU then had access to the other witnesses, namely Marsh, bless his cotton socks, from the UK, who had seen the tail end of, you know, sort of he was the, the, body, the body check and the yeah. throwing the hands in the air by Kraus from the other side of the room from where I was standing. But he didn't actually see the grab. I was the only person that was actually, you know, watching directly when mm. that happened. So I was the only eyewitness to the actual grab, as it were. So let, um, let's just drag it back. We've referenced the BuzzFeed article a couple of times. Was BuzzFeed the first choice? Was it a choice of yours or was this something they actively um, began no, on No, I, I had looked at a couple of other places. So I actually was speaking to the New York Times as well. And I know that um, I think it was Melody or one of the other skeptics was talking to the Washington Post. So there was three different publications that had on the back burner little bits and pieces on Krauss that they were trying to get to the point of gathering into critical mass to actually do a story. And because mine was most recent and it had it wasn't just skeptics, you know, infighting type things, he said, she said stuff, it was actually at an event and it involved scientists and, and I was bringing in Nora as well. And so, again, it's that sort of bringing in the science side as well as the skeptic side. Hmm. that made made you got to the point where you had a critical mass. And obviously the BuzzFeed team I chose to go with in the end for my story and for Nora's was the same team that did the Jeff Marcy so case. So they had excellent pedigree for doing this in this particular discipline and dealing with universities. And whereas the people I was talking to at the New York Times were just sort of generic investigative journalists, they didn't have the specialities that the BuzzFeed team had. Mm. Ginny Hughes and Peter and the team were, were great. The problem in part by having BuzzFeed present this as the breaking story, the expose, that then opened the door for some of these high-profile people to come out and defend him, just citing well, yes. BuzzFeed well, as a, as a, a non-reliable source. Yeah, and and that's completely inaccurate because, in fact, I have just dealt with Science Magazine, which is an august scientific publisher, and BuzzFeed on the recent um, reports of the actual violation outcome. And I can tell you, Science Magazine did no barely any due diligence, none, whereas BuzzFeed were painstaking. The investigation and the eye-dotting, T-crossing that they did, it was months. I contacted them in, like, October when I got the first 
paragraph saying that there was no case to answer. And it took until March to get that out. That's how long it took because they, and they literally came back to me and back to me and back to me to, to cross check my story. It was like being cross examined in a court. That's the level of evidence, fact checking that they did speaking to corroborating witnesses and finding independent corroborating witnesses that I didn't even know had witnessed the incident. You mentioned that to me off air, that they had, off their own bat, gone through the speakers list, because BuzzFeed obviously weren't at this event. They didn't find out about this till long after the fact. But they went and sought out other speakers at the event to cross-check this story. And that's how Correct. they and that, and they contacted Marsh. That's right. And and I had no idea. And so when I went back to Arizona State University, when they requested me to come back again, and I'm like, well, the, my story is still the same. Nothing's changed. <laughs> you know, I'm still, you still got my sworn witness statement signed by my local police station saying this is a true, you know, account of what I saw. They then were asking, well, can you provide us with these contact details of these other people? And I mean, I don't know many investigations if it was like in a court of law usually the person who's making the complaint doesn't have to bring their own witnesses with them <laughs> usually they're found by the investigating team or you know the through the process whereas ASU didn't have the resources to do that but BuzzFeed did and so basically I had to use BuzzFeed as a proxy independent investigative apparatus like a private eye to, because I'd asked My original complaint, I actually asked for an independent investigation because in Australian universities, when you investigate misconduct allegations of a sexual nature, you actually, uh, the universities, by sort of best practice guidelines, will get someone external. So there's no conflict and no bias towards, well, we must do the right thing for the university because they pay us, you know. So you always have an external person doing those investigations in Australia. Because I'd been through them before from people that I'd supported through the process of making reports about sexual harassment and bullying, and I knew what the best practice guidelines in Australia were in the university sector in my previous life as a tenured faculty academic. Now, I'd requested that of ASU. I didn't get that because that's their Title IX process doesn't is, is internal. It's not an external process, um, which is, you know, a structural inadequacy of the system in the US. So basically for me to get an unbiased look at it, it, I had to go to the media. But when you go to the media with those things, they can't keep it secret. It, like that's their bread and butter is to publish things. You know? <laughs> so they will publish things. And so the, you end up with this massive fallout that happened. And obviously, you know, it's all like, oh, well, it's just, uh, you know, trial by media, media beat up, da, 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 da. And because it was BuzzFeed, there was a lot of um, bias against the fact that they're seen to be sort of clickbait, but they were the best team to do to do this, and they did a great job. They did a really good job, <laughs> and we wouldn't have seen the second investigation happen or the outcome of natural justice that happened if they hadn't have done that. So, so for the people who haven't read either of the BuzzFeed articles, because there's really two that we're talking about. Yep. Let's move to the second one. What is the outcome? What was the end result of all of this? Um, the second time round was the weight of evidence was obviously uh, much heavier because it wasn't just my word against his as it was in the first instance because of these extra witnesses and corroborating testimony from several people that were there and they basically then said, well, actually the weight of evidence is now looking like 
he did violate the code of conduct that we have here at ASU. And it was all about bringing, I think it was a couple of violations. It was creating a sort of, um, you know, you're supposed to keep a safe working environment for everybody's enjoyment and safety. You're really not supposed to create a toxic working environment with your behavior if you're a staff member at a university. And then you had bringing the university into disrepute obviously, which is standard issue. If those kind of exposés are going to be seen in, in, in the media, there's obviously going to be a reputational damage to the institution. And I think there was a bit of a grey area about whether or not a skeptic's atheist event would be considered a work event. But as a former academic, I absolutely considered a conference dinner where he was appearing and representing his university to be a work event. As it came out in the report that they sent me, in fact, ASU had paid his airfare to come to Melbourne that weekend. So it was absolutely a work trip for him. So he was at work that night. And what are the ramifications for him with his role? I have no idea. I mean, there has been reports in BuzzFeed just before um, I finally got the uh, outcome that said that he'd been removed from uh, heading up the Origins Project and that... uh, I think that Lindy, Lindy, someone. There's a woman. A woman got re- he got replaced by a woman. Um, <laughs> in which is not. I mean, I there's some sort of small part of me that's like, well, good. At least a woman's benefited from this scenario. But you know, it's it's all fairly unedifying. And the fact that we had to fight, that I had to fight so hard to get the university not to sweep it under the rug because they just sort of thought, well don't know what she's talking about and i'm like no this is absolutely a workplace harassment issue because of the lack of victim and that and that's the problem because the person who had been the recipient of the group didn't feel like a victim she was not interested in reporting as a victim and you know she was just like i elbowed him in the guts that was it for me and i'm like fair enough but me watching that as a scientist, a woman in science who mentors younger women in science to try and help them get through the toxic and it is toxic working environment that is often created by these people in science. For me, that was just a, it was a no-go. I was like, no. Nah. I respected her wishes at the time, so I didn't make a complaint to the organisers. And, you know, and again, you know, they're volunteer organisers. He was the big star. People were paying lots of money to come and be near him and talk to him in the tea breaks and things. So, you know, I didn't want to make a fuss because it was going to make you know, it was it was going to ruin, kill the vibe for everybody else that had paid money to come to the conference. Oh, <laughs> so I, the, I didn't the make vibe a fuss at the time. <laughs> the vibe was killed to a degree. I, I assure you. Yeah, I recall the. It would have been a lot worse if he'd been hauled out on his uh, on and sort of thrown out into the streets. Mm. Now that it's almost mission accomplished for Dr. Mel, what are the greater ramifications of these um, actions for for other women well, in STEM? Well, I mean, I've had a lot of um, women thank me and a lot of men, actually, in, in science thank me for speaking out. There's some structural ramifications for the sort of systems failures of these kind of processes. And we've had recently the National Academy Federation in the US has, has published their report. In fact, that came out, I think, the day before I last spoke to ASU, the ASU investigator. And I said, hey, have you read this report? And she's like, no. And I'm like, hey, you've got to read it. (laughs) It's like totally the rest of your life is going to be committed to basically driving the recommendations 
And so I was working with the with the system that was, you know, the broken system that doesn't really work. And and I think the fact that I had to go back again for the second time and go via an expose in BuzzFeed just shows you how broken that system is to which, get to the point of natural justice. Which, which is partly why this is so disappointing because you would think that of all the different institutions and organisations around the world that this one should be the trailblazer in terms of equality, rights for women, this sort of stuff, not a little bit of uh, gropey-gropey on the side. This is not not the uh, example we we need to be setting. It's been a long-standing problem in science that you have the sort of brilliant genius jerk type of scenario and this and you know as i say this is just one of a long line of many they tend to be protected by their institutions because they are bringing grant money in by the millions in the case of jeff marcy they might get a nobel prize one day you never know junior women that are affected by earlier in their careers by this sort of toxic workplace they're seen as expendable they're just seen as you know oh well we'll lose a few but hey we still get to keep the brilliant genius jerk guy <laughs> if we sweep this under the rug. And it's very common. It's so common. I had a – in the UK, when I was working in the UK as a research assistant, I had um, one of the PhD students got pregnant from her supervisor, which was fine, but his wife was really angry. Oh. <laughs> she wasn't best pleased, and she sort of started throwing tissue culture things across the lab in disgust. And I'm like, hey, that's chromium-51. Please don't throw that across the lab. <laughs> yeah, leave the Ebola alone. That's please, best in please the- put that back in the incubator. <laughs> I know you're annoyed that your husband impregnated his PhD student, but please, safety first. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the, these are things that I've had happen to me in my career as a scientist. And, I mean, I'm laughing now but it's it's not funny it's <laughs> no, not funny it you, shouldn't happen it shouldn't and are you more yeah. optimistic overall we're definitely getting to the the critical mass of the reports have come in and they've done the data and they're presenting an evidence-based argument to talk about why we need to actually change the system so at least we're having that discussion now and so that makes me optimistic but academia is a homeostatic mechanism And when I say homeostatic mechanism, it is absolutely designed not to resist any changes, any perturbment of itself. It just won't allow it to happen. And it's sort of buffered in that way that it will always try and keep the status quo. There's in the US, there's a a woman called Beth Ann McLaughlin, who's really been driving this Me Too STEM movement in the US, which is where she wants the academies to basically throw out the brilliant jerks who have been found guilty by their institutions of sexual harassment. But they're still on the list. They're still on the members list. They're still being given, you know, a seat at the table when these women have lost their careers. They may have lost their mental health. And it's just really difficult to see these people that have perpetrated these acts still being given a seat at the table. And your actions be a catalyst for change would this be could this be held up as the shining example of here's what can be done well i think it's it's more not really what can be done it's more about exposing the weaknesses in the system and the fact that we've gone through twice with the same incident and shown that you basically need to have for an internal misconduct process at university you have to have the same level of evidence and witnesses as a court of law now that's ridiculous okay that is a ridiculous level of evidence that was required to get that decision just when it's a he said she said scenario which these things often are 
these things don't often happen blatantly in a room of 100 people. These often happen in much more secluded places where it is only two people. And the woman thinks she's having a coffee with someone that's going to help her improve her career. And then all of a sudden, it turns to something else because the senior person senses a position of power and then tries to coerce them into sexual activity. And that just happens in all sorts of parts of life, uh, not just science. You know, that's just that sexual harassment, you know, in a nutshell, basically, mm. it's power dynamic. I don't know how to end this on a good note, Mel. <laughs> I don't know. Let's, let's see if we can bring it home. The most unedifying thing for me was the reaction of the skeptics and atheist movements where they basically fell into the trap of confirming their biases about the curse of Eve, where women are deceitful and can't be trusted. And we will always trust the man because the woman is wanting to bring down the man. And I'm like, this is not the fall. This is not the, you know, this is not the Garden of Eden here, people. It's 2018, (laughs) not the Garden of Eden. I I think there's a a sense of disbelief. Some of the people, because I shared the article on Twitter, there were two polar responses. One was, I can't believe that a guy like this would do such a thing. And then there were the other people who were mainly women and mainly scientists going, well, good on you. Yeah. And well, that's it. And the, they're my audience is the, is women in science that want this kind of stuff to stop because it's systemic biases that stops them achieving their potential. Mm. There's some skeptics and atheist fanboys and girls and gender non-binary fans that are upset that they've had a hero tarnished by my complaint. Oh, but I'm upset. You know, it, it was, it, it, it was and shocking. it's disappointing. And it, and and, I, and you guys are going to be you're going to be going through a grief period. I understand that because I've had this year myself i've had one of my close male ally friends being exposed as a person who went through an investigation at a university for sexual harassment and i was horrified because in my mind he was a saint and i had to grieve the loss of that person i thought i knew and so i understand what it's like to lose a hero i get that you know i i personally have deeply felt that this year at one of my mates a man i thought was absolutely a good guy and was there for women in STEM, and he turned out to have a history of, um, you know, trying to coerce his junior staff into romantic activity. I get it. I get the horror of losing a hero. But I think it behooves every person that, that strives to be a rational thinker to really take the evidence as given and then change their minds based on the evidence. And so, look, you can still like his work and his books, but, you know, you are complicit in facilitating his ongoing harassment if you're giving him access to these places. And so, you know, I just want people to reflect on that and reflect on how their behaviour, you know, indirectly feeds into this kind of toxic culture, mm. and, and I'd like to see it change. As would I, Mel. And on that is a good note to end it on. Unfortunately, no jokes to lighten the mood. Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, when no, normally this is a normally this you know herd mentality is a comedy atheist podcast, but yeah, this is a bit too you know serious. Doctor Mel, where can we find you on the electric Twitter? Oh, at Dr. Mel underscore T, but don't come at me with any, but why did you dob him in the lady that owned the breast didn't care? Because I had a few of those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, don't, and I also would recommend that people don't come at me with uh, 
well, that's his fault for being a godless person. I'm like, no, I'm godless too. We agree on that. Um, so I had someone that tried to make some sort of religious play on the, well, that's what happens when you're, you don't believe in God, you don't have any morality. So I had, I had to shut that down pretty oh, quickly. Geez. Okay. Yeah. Life's too short for that. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, very well. Mel, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. It's no an worries. important one. Thank you. Heard mentalists, hear me. Questionable Adam here from the year 2018. No, this isn't coming to you from the future. It's just how much I've aged since last releasing an episode. I have no idea what my Patreon levels are at, or who I should thank for supporting the show this time, so I'll just keep this brief and say that all of the money from this episode will be donated to RAIN.org, R-A-I-N-N.org, an organisation that helps victims of sexual assault in Australia. Kiva will have to wait for another episode. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash herdmentality. It would be much appreciated. Be nice to each other, and I'll see you when I'm even older.